Hey, everybody. Welcome back to my channel. I have a very special guest today. We're just becoming acquainted and um, I'm getting to know him. His name is Kevin and he's a lot of fun, super smart. He owns a bookstore and it's, it happens to be a Christian bookstore. So of course, we're going to be talking about Christian books today and a little bit about his conversion to orthodoxy, what that was like. Um, he's going to talk about icons and we're just going to see where the conversation goes. So, hey, Kevin, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing really good and I'm I'm really excited to be on your show, actually. This is one of the first times I've ever been invited onto a show that I actually watched before. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I really appreciate your comments and your support on the interviews that I've done. A few, um, I mean, we just met and already I've gotten a lot of comments from you on my channel. So thank you for that. Yeah, you have really good videos. Um, Thanks. Well, it's I think all... my favorite is that one that you did about um, an Orthodox woman understanding death. That was yeah. super interesting. Yeah. Super so interesting. everybody, that's Mia H. And I just recorded that video this week. So it's, I think it's number 14 or something like that. And um, I've been getting a lot of great feedback. So everybody watching, please go watch that video. She's a young cradle Orthodox, but her wisdom and um, love for the faith is just huge. So please watch that. But back to you, Kevin, I want to first get to know a little bit more about your conversion story. And, and then you can tell us how in the world you got the idea to open a bookstore and, and kind of what your goals are for um, the future of your business. Sure. So um, my conversion story is kind of, it's a little bit weird because I have a little bit of a, uh, I, so I was raised a Christian. I was raised in actually the Roman Catholic church. And um, because my family's Irish and Polish, so I uh, me too. Super Catholic. Oh, really? Awesome. On my dad's side, Irish, Polish. That's he's half Irish, he's half Polish. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, they were Catholic. (laughs) Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So both. So because of that Irish and Polish heritage, it's like. So my grand, well, my great grandparents were like super Catholic. But then, um, uh, at least on my mom's side, my grandparents were pretty secular. And on my dad's side, my grandparents were super Catholic, especially my grandmother. But um, the my dad and his generation are all pretty secular. So I was actually, despite the very super Catholic heritage there, I was actually raised in a fairly secular house. Um, we went to church on Sunday and did all of that. And, and I think my mom want, in particular wanted me to be more involved in the faith. She was always trying to kind of um, pressure me to be an altar server and stuff. But, uh, but it was like there was this kind of contradiction because on the one hand, they wanted me to be more involved, but I don't think they had ever been properly catechized to understand how to teach the faith. And I didn't really know anything about the faith growing up. Um, I kind of had all sorts of ideas. I really loved studying ancient um, sort of mythologies. So I studied ancient Egyptian and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really identified with 
<laughs> it's so weird now, but I really identified with this story in ancient Egyptian mythology where there's the gods and you die and you get your heart gets like ripped out of your chest and put on a little scale and then they put a feather on the other side and this is supposed to determine if you are righteous or not and then if you're not righteous enough then this big dog thing comes and eats you and uh super scary in a way but that was kind of that was kind of my philosophy of life was like okay so maybe that's how god will sort of treat me is like he'll weigh my my works in in a balance so to speak and that, even from a catholic perspective that's like super bad theology right yeah. but um but that was just kind of where i was growing up and so i ended up spending from about the age of 12 to about the age of 19, I actually was in the very long process of converting to Judaism. Oh, and really? It's, yeah. And it's kind of difficult to convert to Judaism mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, one of which being actual conservative Judaism, they're instructed to turn converts away. So the first time you try to convert, no matter who you are, that they'll turn you away. Um, Cause Judaism is not a seeker sensitive ideology, so to speak, but I was studying that a lot. And then someone challenged me with kind of a Pascal's wager sort of thing. That was basically if, so Jesus says in the new Testament, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Mm-hmm. And all, But meanwhile, all of the rabbis that I'm reading in Judaism, they all say that if you're a Christian, but you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. So I'm going, okay, if I follow Jesus and it turns out that he's wrong, then I have lost nothing. But if I follow, if I continue down this path towards Judaism, and it turns out that actually Jesus was telling the truth, and he is the only way to know God, well, then I've lost everything. So it was just kind of a no brainer that Christianity had to be the path I would take. And there was this little cult um, that was Christian in name but still very into the law. And so I joined them for a while and I kind of wedged my way into the inner circle and became a pastor in this cult just because I was always there trying to be involved in this because I really wanted to, I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of things and I really wanted the church to, now I can see that what I was longing for was the church but I didn't have those categories in my mind because I'm very secular at this time. So the idea of church seemed antiquated in my mind, but that's what I was longing for. Um, So I joined this cult and became a pastor in it and was very, um, very much trying to win people to the cult. I was going door to door doing all this crazy stuff and the, they actually had given me this little health survey and I told them that I didn't think it was good for us to send someone door to door with a health survey. And then you have this sort of bait and switch where it's Mm -hmm. like, 
so blah 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 health stuff health stuff you know do you do this well you want to join my church yeah (laughs) it's like this weird bait and switch thing (laughs) um but i was but the i guess part of that is like so since they were so into the law they were into the mosaic kind of health stuff um which it's actually not a health code it's actually um the ancient Jewish diet has nothing to do with health. It's about ritual purity. But again, when you're coming at things from a secular mind, the only reason someone would go on any kind of diet is health stuff, right? Because we have all these diet fads and the only reason you do that is for health reasons. So ritual purity isn't part of our society. Why would it have been part of theirs? So I didn't understand anything about ritual purity. Well, over time, I got challenged by some very nice evangelical people and began to realize that, okay, the doctrines of this cult don't make any sense, kind of for some of the reasons I was just saying. There's the ritual aspects of Judaism that the modern secular Jews don't really um, don't really have a grasp on, and modern Christian cults that try to appropriate Jewish rituals mm-hmm. do so with all of the wrong mindset. So as a result, they don't actually even understand what it is they're appropriating. And when you lose touch of how, so my favorite example is the Sabbath. It's like Colossians 2 says that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the Sabbath and all this. Well, for the people in this cult, the Sabbath is sort of the end all be all. It's like, oh, it's seventh day. You've got to worship on Saturday. You've got to do all this stuff. Well, ultimately, Jesus is actually the true rest that Christians experience. And so I'm sitting there realizing these things going, okay, so not only is Christianity true, but like real genuine Christianity, not Christianity blended with Judaism and Egyptian mythology and whatever else I happen to like, uh, it's got to be actual Christianity. So that brings up this question of like, okay, what is authentic Christianity? So that set me on a trajectory to really explore the answer to that. What is authentic Christianity? And so I joined a little reformed church that was liturgical, actually. It's one of the few liturgical reformed churches, but I joined that. Um, because it was in my area and they were really, really nice and things. And I was able to kind of explore a lot of these issues while I was there. And I was studying a lot in the reformed tradition and just fell in love with, because, because I love philosophy so much and was studying philosophy at the time, I just fell in love with the institutes by John Calvin, because it's very philosophical. And I also at the same time was really in love with Thomas Aquinas and the Summa and all of this. So I was getting into sort of something older 
But what I noticed was that it kept pointing back to something even older of the church fathers. Mm -hmm. And because I had read Calvin, I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, I already know the church fathers, you know, Augustine and all this stuff. I already know what I'm going to get when I read them because it's going to be just like Calvin because he quotes them all the time. But I start reading the church fathers and they're nothing like Calvin. It's this much deeper ideology. There's such, there's really deep probing thought in the fathers that I just was not expecting. I'm going into this thinking, okay, these are kind of the earliest Christians. So obviously they're going to be kind of like almost, it's going to be like, they're infants, and then the church matured over time. But what I found was actually the opposite, that in the fathers, you have the deepest of Christian experience. And if anything, all of the stuff that I had looked up to that came after that was just patently inferior. So I was discovering even more and more, I'm discovering, okay, well, all this stuff that I just took as sort of second nature, like penal substitutionary atonement and all these things are sort of not what I thought they were. So I believe I've taken it down, but there's actually a really funny video that was on my YouTube channel from early on, uh, cause I was doing apologetics stuff. So, um, I guess I kind of forgot to mention that <laughs> I've been talking way too long, but um, I started the Freed Indeed Ministries when I left the cult that I was a part of as sort of an apologetics tool to reach people out of that cult and help lead them to Christianity. And, um, and when I started looking into the church fathers, I made a video where I was really excited. I'm going, I'm on, I'm, I'm really loving this stuff. I've started looking into these guys and now I'm really excited. I'm going to prove everything from Calvinism from the fathers. Well, what I actually discovered was kind of the opposite. The fathers led me out of Calvinism and uh, instead of me reading my ideas into them, they started teaching me their ideas. Wow. So I no longer fit in very well in the reformed context. And I was starting to have a lot of questions that made reformed people uncomfortable because I was starting to talk a lot about the church and the sacraments. And I also noticed that we had a pretty glaring inconsistency right off the bat because one of our foundational documents is John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. And in that book, he has a lengthy argument for apostolic succession. Mm, yeah. And I'm going, well, wait a second. If apostolic succession is part of our foundational, you know, sort of our big guy, we call ourselves Calvinists, and our big guy is arguing for something that we're clearly not practicing. Mm -hmm. And that question was making people super uncomfortable because it's like, well, no, we don't really, we don't really have bishops. We just do our own thing with elders and stuff. And I'm going, well, how does that make any sense? Who, who is the teaching authority of the church then? Well, we just have the Bible mm -hmm. and I'm going, okay, but, 
and it just didn't make sense to me because I'm also studying hermeneutics and all this and learning that like when you read the Bible, you know, it comes from a context. It's not like Peter woke up one day and looks at his desk and goes, whoa, there's this letter here. <laughs> I should start sending this to people. No, Peter is writing from an actual context. And if you interpret the Bible outside of that context, you know, the there's a great um, Tawhid Orthodox theologian whose name I can't remember because they all have huge names. But um, he says every, he uses that sort of joke, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. But he says, I love that line, but there's a flaw in it. And that is that every text has a context. Mm -hmm. The problem is if I don't know the Mm -hmm. actual context, Mm -hmm. I bring my own context to it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at the doctrine of sola scriptura and I'm having a huge problem because as I study hermeneutics more and more, I'm learning that, wait a minute, if I don't, if, if I don't know the actual context, the actual tradition that this scripture comes to me through, then sola scriptura doesn't work. Because then I'm just imposing whatever my beliefs are onto the text. Right. Yeah. So I started having this wrestling and I got really excited because I discovered Eastern Orthodoxy. And Eastern Orthodoxy seemed like it was kind of everything I was looking at, but, um, Everybody in my immediate context was really negative about orthodoxy, and it was legitimately, it was so different from what, you know, anything I had been a part of. So I'm discovering all these things, but at the same time, I'm kind of wanting something a little bit closer to home. So there was a church called St. Mark's, which if you went there today, it's actually Antiochian Orthodox. The church has converted. But at the time, it was a high Anglican church. Uh-huh. So I started going there. And Ooh, I'm sorry, let me let me ask you. Yeah, no. So you're saying that it was all Anglican, the the yeah, everybody there, and they all converted or people left and some people converted it to Orthodox. Like did the clergy <laughs> The clergy. So what happened was um, after, so after I became Orthodox and um, I I had to leave that church to become Orthodox and the priest was super nice and everything. But about a year later, um, I received an email from them that was saying that the clergy had decided to convert to Orthodoxy and that the bishop of the Antiochian Orthodox Church had said that if they wanted to, they could, the, if the parish wanted to, they could actually remain a parish and basically do a parish-wide conversion and keep the same priest. So he would just get ordained as a priest in Orthodoxy or reordained or whatever the whatever the proper terminology is and then as a whole parish they became orthodox and they loved their 
priest, so they decided to do it. Wow. So, yeah, if you if you go to St. Mark's in Portland today, it's actually an Orthodox church now. But And at, what type of Orthodox church did you start going to? So, actually, that's kind of a funny story. So, right down the street from my house, the whole time that this is happening, right down the street from me, there's a Russian Orthodox church called Holy Apostles. And... At this time, I'm doing Freed Indeed Ministries, and I'm also doing, as kind of a tent-making thing, I'm driving as a delivery driver. And I prayed a prayer. I said, God, you know, so COVID time started up, and I was super busy doing deliveries, and but the church was closed. So I said, God, I really want to know what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to, I haven't gone to church in three months. I don't want to live this way. I want to receive the sacraments. And more importantly, um, life is just crazy right now. And I really want to follow you. I want to do, I want to do, you know, your thing. I don't want to do my thing anymore. I want to do your thing. So show me where to go. And as I finish that prayer, I'm at a stop sign and I look up and there's Holy Apostle, a sign that says Holy Apostles Orthodox Church. And I go, that is the weirdest thing. What are the odds? Right. So I, and it just so happens that they're having some kind of potluck or something. And so the whole congregation is there. So I drive up to it and I, had no idea what to even ask. So I just said, I just rolled down my window and this woman walks up to my car and I said, how long has this church been here? (laughs) And she goes, I don't know, maybe like a few years. (laughs) And I said, okay, well, um, I'm thinking about coming and visiting. Do you guys have services? Which looking back, that's kind of a dumb question. But during COVID time, it's like not everybody had services, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so she says, yeah, it's open. You know, you can come at 9 a.m. So I show up at 9 a.m. I'm wearing a mask and I look around and nobody else is wearing a mask. So I took it off. And (laughs) uh, but I just fell in love with the liturgy and I think it was the very next week that I asked Father Michael, he's the priest, if I could become a catechumen there. And I called up the Anglican priest and I said, I think I'm going to become Orthodox. And he, (laughs) the Anglican priest was very gracious to me, but he said, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. And I said, (laughs) wait, what? And he goes, yeah, we've all been basically having bets. You know, how long is it going to take for Kevin to become Orthodox? (laughs) Uh, And I'm going, really? And he goes, yeah, you know, everything you say, just, it sounds like you're already Eastern Orthodox. So I'm a little confused why you've even been here. And I'm going, oh, well, okay. And so I went to my, um, I'm, I'm going to everybody asking what books I should read and all this. And I went to my um, godfather and I said, you know, what books do you recommend? And he recommended some books that are just, just kind of introduction to orthodoxy books. And I'm going, oh, okay, cool, cool. And he said, well, what are you reading right now? And I said, 
actually, I'm reading this great book. It's called Orthodox Spirituality, which actually I recommend this book, Orthodox Spirituality by Dmitri Staniloa. Super good book. But I said that and he just kind of looks at me sideways and goes, isn't that a little bit like, I don't know, advanced or heavy <laughs> or something? And I'm going, I don't know. It's my first day. <laughs> I don't know what's advanced. <laughs> um, so, so we had a lot of fun and I, I just had so much fun in the, that time asking questions and doing all this. And my priest has really become a spiritual father to me, which is so wonderful uh, to have. And my wife is a super intellectual person. She actually has a master's degree herself in, in biblical counseling. So she has a master's degree in Bible stuff too. And so it's like just the two of us, you know, she asks just the best questions and challenges me in the best possible ways. And it's like just having the opportunity to have this journey, um, with my priest and with her and just having this, it's like, it's been so wonderful. And there really is this sense of enchantment that you get in orthodoxy that I don't think is there anywhere else. It's just like, yeah, the, the moment I went to the first liturgy, I was hooked. It's like, I had all of the sort of theological categories already, but I didn't know anything about orthodoxy. Not really, because I'd never, you know, experienced the liturgy. Yeah. And then just, and now I just can't get enough of it. It's like, whenever my church has anything, I try to make sure that I can be a part of it because it's just like, this is the best thing ever. That's how I feel too. Um, Quickly, I don't think you mentioned anything about your education um, until you just mentioned your wife. So you have the master's in... Uh, so she has a master's degree in biblical counseling uh, from the master's university uh, in California, which is a Protestant school, but uh, their, but their biblical counseling program is just intense and awesome. All of my education has just been in religion generally. Um, and I've mainly focused on apologetics because that's kind of what because of my ministry, um, so I started to back up a little bit. I actually started getting an education when I left the cult. I started going to university because I because I started Freed Indeed Ministries as kind of this way to address the f- false teachings that I was seeing. Well, I guess actually to back up a little bit more, I first enrolled actually in a university from the cult because my thought was that uh, I was so ingrained in their mindset that my thought was that, okay, I'm noticing that a lot of the stuff in this cult seems to be wrong, but I'm guessing that maybe like the founders of the cult had this agenda and then everybody else has just sort of maybe lost their way, but they just need a, they just need a reformer. They just need somebody to come along and fix things. And 
And in that cult, Martin Luther is kind of a big figure to them, even though he didn't believe anything they believe. Mm. They really love his stuff. So I was thinking, okay, we just need like a modern Martin Luther. So I enrolled in one of their universities. And what I found out was, no, all of the stuff I'm seeing that's problematic is all of the stuff that their founders intended. Plus their founders were actually anti-Trinitarian. They were Mm. just mixed up on so many things. And I'm going, well, this doesn't make any sense. If I don't even have the same, if I don't even worship the same God as these people, then that can't be Christianity. Mm -hmm. So I enrolled in an evangelical school, Liberty University, which I actually, I can say I highly recommend Liberty in general. I mean, obviously I disagree with a lot of their stuff, but really great education. So I enrolled there and I just I knew I was going to start Freed Indeed Ministries, but I wanted some legitimacy. I didn't want to just be a guy who had read some books and was on YouTube. I wanted to have some legitimate backing. So I did start the ministry um, and work in that while I was doing school, but I was attending the university and kind of getting a background in those things and particularly apologetics and philosophy. Uh, really, I really got into Thomas Aquinas and even modern Thomists. Um, Ed Fazer is kind of just philosophically, he's one of my favorite people to read even still to this day. So uh, my time studying all of that stuff was really great. And I don't want to just, I don't want to say that, you know, now I'm Orthodox. So all of that stuff was just bunk all of that stuff was great i think that what has been really helpful to me in coming to orthodoxy is being able to sort of filter through all of that and say okay philosophy is great and everything but it needs to be submitted to the church to what the church has taught and so you know we don't we don't submit church teaching. I think that's kind of the mistake that Western scholasticism has had is that in the West, we like to submit church teaching to philosophy and say, well, this has to be logical. It can't be just a mystery. So therefore we have all these Aristotelian categories and, and voila, that's what the Eucharist is. And now I look at it and I'm going, no, you you don't need all that it's just a mystery. You you don't need to have all of these weird categories and stuff. Just say, I don't understand how it happens, but Jesus is really there. He's, Mm -hmm. he's physically in the Eucharist. And that's, that's cool with me. I mean, you do have to confess that though. You can't just be like, well, you know, I don't know what's happening, but it's like spiritual or whatever, man, like Calvin did. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that was, that was kind of my big thing was doing apologetics. And then as I got more and more into the Orthodox mindset, I wanted to share a lot of the Orthodox stuff. But I knew I had to be careful because I couldn't just, you know, dive, <laughs> dive in and be. So we're going to have an Orthodox show now and everything's going to be all about Orthodoxy and blah, blah. So I kind of did a little bit of like, OK, I'll just what I 
did, whether it was smart or not, I don't know. But what I did was actually kind of do a back to basics thing. And by going sort of back to basics and leaving off a lot of the heavy philosophical content and going to a more basic, like, what is Christianity? Who is Jesus? What are the early heresies? It's enabled me to talk about orthodoxy in a way that I think is more inviting Mm -hmm. to to the Protestant mind, to the, to the just non-Christian mind. Yeah. No, so, um, excuse me. Is this on your YouTube? You're yes. Talking about videos yes, you've that's, made? Yeah. That's, that's on my YouTube. Um, if you still want the heavy stuff, I'm going to be starting a new thing in the, uh, the aforementioned bookstore has a website and we're going to start having classes and book clubs and things for people who want to dive deeper. Um, but that's going to be more, that's going to be geared more towards an Orthodox or at least like ortho, Orthodox and Catholic minded people. Um, Cause we're going to be studying the church fathers and things like that. So definitely Protestants are welcome for sure. But I think that if you're not Orthodox, you're definitely going to be challenged by some of the stuff that comes up. Mm-hmm. And if you're cool with that, then by all means join, because like I said before, you know, being challenged and stuff is awesome. Yeah. Um, but if you're not cool with that and you're kind of like, no, I just want to go through my life and, and avoid that stuff, then it's probably going to be a little bit um difficult but there are there's there's going to be some other stuff you know we're i don't do any political content on youtube so i might do some political things on there because politics in a weird way was actually part of how i came to orthodoxy um one of the first things that i discovered was the idea of monarchy Mm -hmm. and i actually somebody asked me today about the saints and um, I was talking about it. And interestingly, I have my icon here of Tsar Nicholas. Um, and that's just, I have that because he's actually my patron saint. And I like to say that Tsar Nicholas kind of chose me and not the other way around. Because I just always was really interested in Russian history. And then um as I was exploring orthodoxy, even while I was still Anglican, uh, I was kind of uncomfortable with the idea of seeking the intercession of the saints at first, but I felt this draw towards Tsar Nicholas. And so I started asking for his intercession and I did, they asked me who I wanted, the Anglican church asked me who I wanted as my patron saint. And I said, uh, St. Tsar Nicholas. And they said, can you pick one that's Western? And I was like, nope, Saints are Nicholas. Um, and they said, cool. Uh, and then I'm sure now I know that somebody was probably like, okay, I'm putting $5 on like three months, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but so I'm, but I was really into just his story and his ethos and who he was and what I've come to see is that the saints, you know, they draw us to God, but they draw us to God in a way of like the same way that you and I can form a relationship and, you know, 
you and the people at your church can form a relationship. I think it's the same way with the saints. We build this relationship with them. And a friend of mine who's been on my show a couple of times, Matthew Emerson, he likes to say, you know, at the end of the day, I'm either right or I'm insane because I truly believe that I have a deep spiritual connection and deep friendship with the last czar of Russia who was murdered a hundred years ago for his faith. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm either correct or I'm just, <laughs> I'm just out of my mind. <laughs> um, and, you know, I love that because it's mm-hmm. so true. That's exactly right. We are either, we are, we either are the true church and we're right and everything, or we're just kind of out of, all out of our mind yeah. and have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I I'm very happy with my choice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, either either way I'm sticking to it. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of which, I would actually like to know a little bit more about you and kind of where you came from, you know, you you have a lot of sort of, you know, you talked about you have a lot of background with the occult and Mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. and you it sounds like you discovered Jay Dyer and his work and that kind of led you into an understanding I'm kind of curious to know a little bit more about that if you don't mind um I I would really love to keep this interview focused on you but (laughs) um only only because I was interviewed yesterday oh okay and so anybody curious can go watch that interview awesome. because it's an hour and a half long. And I talked about everything. I mean, much deeper than any interviews I've done on this channel, because like I said, I like this channel to be about my guests, but, um, the website, I'll put a link to the, um, YouTube channel, but it's called the green feathers. And it's, um, uh, my new friend, Nick asked me to be on his show. And, um, yeah, we talked about all that stuff for, quite a while. So, um, yeah, today, you know, I, because right. I, I, <laughs> I want to get to the books and the icons okay. and I know we could talk about those things for hours. So, um, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's not that I don't want, oh, it's I not get like you. that. I'm I not trying you. to, I'm not trying to hide anything about my story. It's just that it's so long and it can be found on that other interview. <laughs> I get you. I get you. That's fair. Um, yeah. So books and icons, right? (laughs) Icons, Because I mean, first we still don't know how you got the idea to have a bookstore and like, that's a huge investment and big project. Like that's a huge commitment is what I'm. It is. (laughs) So I think going back just a little bit, my wife and I have always been big time readers. Clearly, Um, (laughs) I, I think I picked up on that. (laughs) so we always loved books we always loved uh education we always loved all of that just the sort of ethos of of learning perpetual learning um learning from one another learning through hardship uh we just we're into that and so we want we've always wanted to be able to kind of spark that fire in other people as well. And we've always wanted to sort of have an outlet for and a way to utilize that. 
So that was a big impetus behind starting the Freed Indeed Ministries thing was for us to do that. And that's that has been great. But uh, ministries in general don't support themselves. So I've had to be bivocational in that. And that and so I've had lots of different careers over the years. Um, I've sold insurance. I've done delivery driving, which actually delivery driving isn't so bad because I can listen to podcasts and audiobooks all day while I'm driving around. Um, so that wasn't terribly bad. Uh, I prayed the I learned the Jesus prayer during the time where I was doing delivery driving as well. Cause it was like, I'm behind the wheel all day. I may as well just, you know, spend all day uh, praying the Jesus prayer, but I always wanted to, we always had this vision of desire or I, Maybe vision is the wrong word, but we always had this goal and ambition that one day we would start a Christian bookstore on the coast. We've always really loved the coastal community and stuff, and we always wanted to be part of a church plant. Um, and because there's really even there's no Orthodox churches along the coast or anything, we really wanted to be part of something like that, a, a church plant or something, and then have a bookstore. Um, well, so that was always just kind of an ambition in the back of our minds, but I also always needed something to pay the bills while we're doing YouTube videos and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're, so we were looking into those sorts of things. Well, there was actually a Christian, there's one big Christian bookstore in our town. It's called Queen of Peace. And it was started by a Roman Catholic woman 20 years ago. Um, Her name was Alice Bennett. And she actually had a whole career before that. And then she started the bookstore because she went to Medjugorje which is one of the sites of a Marian apparition. And while she was there, she looked into the teachings of Medjugorje, which are really interesting to me because they sound a lot like, or I guess it's not teachings. It's like the calling of Medjugorje or whatever. So basically what this apparition of Mary is trying to get mostly Roman Catholics to do. And it's really interesting when you look at it because it sounds a lot like the stuff we do in Orthodoxy anyway, Um, fasting twice a week, doing alms. Um, I forget what a lot of them are, but a lot of it is like that. It's like fasting, being at the liturgy all the time, um, praying without ceasing. And I'm going, you know, this sounds a lot like stuff that we're called to do in orthodoxy, uh, interestingly enough. But at one point while she was at this retreat or whatever in Medjugorje, she had some kind of experience that she didn't really talk about with people, but there was some kind of experience. And during it, she told the Virgin Mary that she was going to dedicate her life to spreading Christ. And she had actually been 
let me see if I can get this right. She had been a nurse and on the side, she was selling antiques and she was basically told somehow to give up her career in nursing and selling antiques and to start a Christian bookstore in, in her town. So she did well, she was already almost 70 years old by that point. So it had been 20 years. She was almost 90 by the time we, my family was really involved, but we loved going to this bookstore. We were there all the time. And we found out that she was having ill health and she wanted to sell the bookstore, but she actually wanted to sell it to the Knights of Columbus. Um, but the Knights of Columbus were not, I don't want to say they were not interested, but they were kind of lackadaisical about it. It was like they, they wanted there to be, they wanted this bookstore to exist but they didn't really want to have to put forth too much effort into it. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really want to buy it from her. So my family came and we offered to buy it from her. And uh, she, she actually turned us down a couple of times, but third time is always the charm. Um, if at first you don't succeed, be annoying until you do. <laughs> um, so she, uh, so she, she sold the bookstore to us, and we we took it over, and then uh, and then unfortunately she didn't get much time to retire, be because she actually passed away like a month after selling the bookstore. So that was really sad, but uh, and then we somehow got roped into like planning her funeral and all this stuff. It was like, it was like when we purchased the bookstore, we kind of purchased like her legacy, her life legacy. Oh, yeah. So it was, it was kind of cute in a way, but, um, but we've, we've really changed things up. So we, so the bookstore was started as a purely Roman Catholic bookstore and we've tried to expand it to be a Christian bookstore that embraces the best of all Christian traditions, um, including Protestantism. But most of most of what I've added to it has been Orthodox, um, and I've really tried to add like pretty much everything from ancient faith. Like if ancient faith sells it, we sell it. Mm -hmm. Like that's <laughs> ancient faith has definitely been a big boost to our bookstore, but also St. Tikhon's monastery and press over in New York. I think it is. They've been a huge help to us as well, especially with the popular patristics series. We've been able to carry that. And then, one of the bigger additions has been selling icons, which uh, before we started, I was kind of talking to you about how rewarding that has been because people started asking me questions about, you know, well, why does this icon have this? Why does this have this? And I'm going, you know, that's a great question. So I've started really researching how to read icons mm -hmm. and I've always been told that icons teach the faith. 
And I just thought that like what that meant was, you know, you look at the icon and you see that Jesus is coming out of the tomb. Therefore he resurrected. Yay. But it's actually deeper than that. Icons are deeply symbolic and have these deep messages that you can really learn so much from them. And it's been super rewarding to have this experience of because I'm selling them, I'm able to sort of learn about them a lot and talk to people about it. And then Mm -hmm. selling books um, is just super fun because it's like, Oh, you've got to read this, you know? And uh, super fun. I want to ask kind of a personal question, just kind of like how I, because I'm, I'm thinking, okay, if I had a Christian bookstore and I had all different kinds of Christians coming in. I think I would naturally be recommending Orthodox books, but is that is that kind of a faux pas? Like if someone's a Protestant, but they're interested in something and it makes you think of an Orthodox book. Yeah. Do you, do you show them multiple books and maybe one of them is an Orthodox book? I, I don't know if I'm if I'm asking this right. This like little piece of me that would be like, oh, I, I wonder if this Protestant might get interested in Orthodox. Right. No, I am 100% that way. Um, so I think it could be a faux pas if, but if you do it right, mm-hmm. you actually, it, it can be pretty seamless. So, um, you know, doing it wrong would be like, oh, you like, you like this Protestant crap. Here's something way better. Better. Um, Oh, you need this book. Forget all the Protestant stuff. This, this is what you need to buy. But, um, which can be tempting when like some people come in and they ask for like one person came in and asked for a book called Jesus Calling, which is like, it's supposed to be a daily devotional, but it's written by this woman pastor and stuff. And I'm going like, oh my gosh, somebody get a, a Protestant gave me that book. I have that book. Oh, really? That's so weird. Yeah. Oh, I, I started saying... reading it and, then I, and, you know, it just kind of ended up on the bookshelf. But right. it's so, so... interesting. That's so weird said... out of all the books that you would bring that one up. Oh, my right. gosh. So I kind of said, like, yeah, we don't really carry that. <laughs> and, well, oh, you should. It's so wonderful. And I'm sitting there like, no, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But uh, but other than other than those temptations, I think it's really it's actually kind of fun to bring up stuff because so much Orthodox material. I mean, like one of the places that I went to is a place called Draw Near Designs. It's where we get a lot of our T-shirts and um, children's books and coffee cups and just all kinds of stuff. And the lady from Draw Near Designs, when I sent her a message about selling our stuff, she's like, this is so awesome because there's almost no one who sells our products in the entire Western world. I'll tell my parish bookstore they should sell their stuff definitely definitely mm-hmm. it's draw near designs you can actually find them on instagram yeah i, I follow so, them and oh in you fact, do yeah one of the ladies i have a ladies telegram private chat and one of the ladies was actually sharing her calendar she just bought 
calendar from them and it arrived yesterday. So she was showing us photos and a couple of the other ladies were saying, oh, I love their things and I have this and we we love their stuff. So I'll tell them they can get it at the Queen of Peace website too. (laughs) Yeah. Let us tell us what you have on the website. Do you have all your titles and t-shirts and icons on your website? We have pretty much everything and pretty much anything you can get in the store you can get on the website okay the only thing the only big thing that um we haven't been able to get on the website yet is our 3d prints Uh, i'm still working on the biggest problem with getting those on the website is just it's super hard to get a good picture of them what is it 3d print so like, like it'll have Jesus, but if you look at it from a certain way, he's kind of like looking at you. And then if you look at it another way, he's kind of holding a lamb or something, wow. or like, it'll have, maybe it'll have like the Theotokos. And then as you look at it, it has like the Theotokos holding Jesus. And then it has Jesus like on the cross or whatever. Wow. So it's like, as you look at them, the picture changes mm. and it's pretty cool but it's kind of difficult to sell that online. So I'm still trying to figure out a way to do that. If you are, if you're out of the area and you're interested in seeing that uh, you can call the store and I'll try to figure something out because we are, we can ship those just as easily as anything else. It's just actually getting them on the website. And what having, about a video? Would that work? Like a, I think it would work actually. Mm -hmm. I'd have to, I've got to figure out how we can use, or maybe like one of those, what is it, a GIF or a GIF or whatever? Mm -hmm. Maybe if you could have one of those as like the product image, have something that, because yeah, something like that where it moved. Mm -hmm. But other than that, we have all of our icons, really beautiful icons of, um, so we have. My personal favorite is the resurrection. And uh, so that one is really super cool. It has uh, Jesus emerging from the tomb and he's taking Adam and Eve into paradise. And you see all the Old Testament saints uh, behind him in his train. It's really cool. And I love that one a lot. And then we have uh, for, for my ladies out there who like big families, we have Theotokos, our helper in childbirth. We have that one. Um, I have lots of stuff. Like, obviously, I'm really devoted to Tsar Nicholas. So I have stuff with him. I have just all kinds of stuff. So I would definitely recommend checking out the website and uh, and seeing that. We have the Orthodox Study Bible is a really mm-hmm. important thing. And I'll say this, too, is that I'm... I'm the only one of the business partners who is Eastern Orthodox. So the more Orthodox people we, the more Orthodox people we get going to the website and actually buying Orthodox books. um, If you, if you buy Schmemann from us or buy the fathers from us, that really does help me to be able to get more Orthodox content into the bookstore because uh, for every icon you buy, it makes it so that, you know, the other partners involved see that much more legitimacy to mm. what I'm doing. They already love what I'm doing, but the more you, the more you buy, it legitimately helps us, not just helps us to survive, which it obviously does, <laughs> um, 
but it helps us to actually get more focus on orthodoxy in the store because um, if orthodoxy is what sells, then obviously all of the partners want to do orthodox yeah. things. Do you so, have any orthodox crosses? Um, we do. Wear? We do. We have um, we have lots of different options, uh, and you can find. I believe you can find all of them on our website too. But we have lots of them. We have the we have just like plain three bar crosses necklaces and um, things like that. We also have some that are a little bit more elaborate. So like we have St. Olga's and St. Vladimir's crosses, which are three bar crosses that have some designs around them. Um, we have three bar crucifixes and, and all of that is stuff that I've had to bring in. We didn't really have any of that stuff when we bought the bookstore, we didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, I've had to add all that. So, you know, definitely the more, especially uh, for priests out there, or if you're like a teacher of your catechumens, send them to our website because we have awesome, we, we have awesome deals and things that you can take advantage of. And if you get your stuff through us, then not only would you be helping a Christian bookstore, but again, you're also helping to make it so that the three bar crosses, the Orthodox materials are more, um, more available. So everything you buy from us makes it more available. And we do support charity as well. We support Orthodox Christians for life. So um, we are kind of we have our hands in a lot of pies, but I think it's good that we do because it's been really rewarding working with Orthodox Christians for life. Um, and they were super surprised when I contacted them. They went, wow, nobody has ever asked us to to do anything with them before. And I was really shocked by that. But But apparently there just are not enough Orthodox distinctly orthodox places around um and so you know other than other than like if you have your own parish bookstore obviously then you have access to a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. but outside of that most people in most people out there really don't have access to a lot of the stuff we have Mm. in any kind of simple way so Mm -hmm. um it's really awesome to be able to provide that. And I, I can't tell you how many even Catholics have come into the store and have never heard of Ignatius of Antioch or Polycarp, or Mm -hmm. certainly didn't know that there was a book on the incarnation by St. Athanasius. And maybe they've heard of Athanasius, maybe like they heard his name in a sermon one time from their priest, but they've never actually seen that, you know, there's all this, that these church fathers are like actual people that you can interact with their thoughts. It's like all of that is just old stuff Mm -hmm. that has no connection to me. And then you show them, no, this, you can actually experience tradition Mm -hmm. And people get excited. Yeah. And uh, so it's been really rewarding. Again, I keep using that word, but it has. And so many people now, so many more people now are asking about orthodoxy too. Yeah. 
Like it's really fascinating. I, when, when I first became Orthodox, it was like, it seemed like there was a lot of Orthodoxy in the world, but not in our area. All over the world, people were coming to Orthodoxy, but in our area, it was much, much less. But now that I've been there and even just having the icons available, it's like people see them and somehow they just know and they ask me like, oh, are those Orthodox icons? I feel like that looks Orthodox. And I'm going, yeah, actually it is an Orthodox icon. No way. Is there an Orthodox church around here? And (laughs) the funniest one was my priest was actually in the bookstore the other day. And somebody asked me, is there an Orthodox church here? Because I noticed all your Orthodox icons. And Father Michael goes, actually there is an orthodox church (laughs) and he just starts talking and i was so happy because it was it was like so random that he happens to be there right when somebody is asking is there an orthodox church and he's going yeah there's an orthodox church it's it's, i'm the i'm the priest of it so i can ask you a question um absolutely when somebody comes into your store it's the first time they've been there and maybe they just heard about orthodoxy through jay dyer or somebody on youtube and they've never purchased a a book well you would probably recommend the study bible i guess but other than that how do you what kind of questions would you ask the person to figure out what kind of book would be a good starting book for them um well the first question i'd probably want to know is uh how you know, like, well, what, what got you interested in looking into orthodoxy? Because if, if it is like a Jay Dyer video, then I would probably recommend something like the Orthodox Study Bible, or one of the other things I recommend to a lot of people who are just looking into orthodoxy is a book called Thinking Orthodox by Jeannie Constantinou. Yeah, I just listened to an interview with her on Austin's. Yeah, yeah. that was a great interview, too. Um, and I love her. She actually was on my show a little while ago. Oh, um, really? Because I want to yeah. have her on my show, but I wasn't oh, sure no if she would. Oh, she would. Yeah. She would. She came on my show and she is really she's actually really fun to talk to. Uh-huh. Um so definitely have her on your show. Okay. Um, she's super busy though. So mm-hmm. I would recommend getting a phone number from her right away and calling her because if you try to go back and forth with emails, um, it, it's kind of difficult because she's so busy, yeah, but I, I don't think that. she has time to like sit down and read yeah. an email. So it's it's hard to plan something that way. Tell us about her book personal. a little bit so um, we know like, sure. what you like about it because I haven't yeah. read it. Oh, sure. So it's called Thinking Orthodox. And what I love about it is that it really takes you into the mind of the church. So I think you know a lot of us, like Jay Dyer, he talks a lot about worldview. And like when you're doing apologetics, you you always talk about worldview because there's a tendency in postmodernism to just sort of assume the worldview. And we as Christians love to burst that bubble. 
But what I love about Dr. Jeannie's book, Thinking Orthodox, is that she does the same thing to us. So she takes Christians and sort of turns that worldview challenge back on them and says, okay, well, are you actually practicing the worldview of the early church? And so she examines what what is the actual apostolic worldview and where do we see it still being, where do we see that worldview kept alive today? And I think the reason I love that book so much is because of that. It's like you actually get to enter into the worldview of the apostles and see, okay, this is why this is why the liturgy is so important. It's not just because doing these rituals in this way is super cool, which it is, but it's because this is actually how you keep this tradition is how you keep that ancient faith alive in your context. Because if you're just divorced from tradition, then you're sort of swimming around in whatever worldview you just kind of inherit from, I don't know, the world around you yeah. from, I guess, yikes, from Hollywood or something. Yeah, um, whatever's <laughs> popular in the culture, we're, we're just conditioned by that. Right. So kind of having that, kind of having that grounding to say, what is actually the worldview of the apostles If someone wants to get a little bit more advanced than that, so maybe they've already started examining the fathers a little bit, maybe they maybe they even were raised in an evangelical church. And so their question is more something along the lines of this orthodoxy stuff is really interesting, but where, you know, it's sort of the perennial Protestant question, where do you see that? Where where do you actually find that? in the Bible, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And the book I love to kind of address that question other than thinking Orthodox is Father Andrew Stephen Damick's, or sorry, no, the other guy, Father Stephen DeYoung's book, um, The Orthodox Church in, or The the Christian Church in the First Century. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. Ooh, okay, darn. we'll put it in but, the, we'll put it in the description. Sure, but it's it's Father Stephen DeYoung. His it's actually his first book, I think, but he goes into detail about where you can see in Second Temple Judaism how Christianity is part of Second Temple Judaism, and then actually Christianity is not part of it; it's the fulfillment of it. And I think that's really helpful for the Protestant mind because it make it puts you in that position of saying, okay, so here's where the church is getting all this stuff. It's not like the it's not like the apostles were sitting around one day thinking, what can we make up today? Oh, this will be our religion now. They actually themselves were building upon it and recognize not building upon is the wrong term this is why it's hard to do theology because you you trip up all the time but but they themselves were taking their actual jewish faith 
and they were practicing it and recognizing Jesus as the fulfillment of all these things and their zeal and excitement for that and for the fact that you know Jew and Gentile don't have to be separated anymore mm-hmm. because Jesus fulfilled all of that mm-hmm. that's what brought the early church together and made the early church what it was and uh father stephen's book is really great for that so that's one that i usually recommend and it's then the religion of the apostles yes the religion of the and, apostles and then the it's orthodox christianity in the first century so you you were right but you had the subtitle as the title <laughs> i had the subtitle as the title <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and then other than that for pretty much everyone i recommend two things that number um one of them is the church fathers uh just in general i always recommend pretty much anything you can get from the fathers uh saint athanasius uh saint cyril of alexandria i all i'm always recommending that because that's where we see the nuts and bolts of orthodoxy mm-hmm. really presented the like i said before the deepest theology is found in the fathers and so that's always something i point people to and then i have i I have against heresies oh i love that one but i i think it's too i'm i'm too young in the faith for it okay i think I mean, that's just me. I think okay. I need just really basic. No, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So yeah. what I would probably recommend, so obviously <laughs> I'd recommend the Orthodox Study Bible, mm-hmm. but uh, what I'd probably recommend for that would be would be thinking Orthodox would be a great way to kind of start and get your grounding for that. But I'd also, and then, you know, the the religion of the apostles is a great one to get your footing in things, get your footing in the fathers so that you can really understand them. Mm-hmm. But an easy one that's actually a patristic book that would be a little bit easier than against heresies would be St. Um, St. Athanasius of Alexandria on the incarnation, because he goes into what is basically the central teaching of Christianity and that's Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, And by, and really explores these things, the idea of the hypostatic union and all of this, but he explores it in a way that I feel still today is really easy for people to grasp. And he does it in such a way that as you're reading it, you never feel the need to ask yourself, how does this apply to me or anything like that? Mm-hmm. You just kind of know, like you're transfigured in Jesus. You're going, okay, this is someone who loves Jesus. And I'm getting this wonderful opportunity to, to sit at their feet and learn from them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, so that's one that I highly recommend um, to someone who's kind of new in the faith. And that was actually one of the first patristic books I ever read. 
the first patristic book I ever read was St. Ignatius of Antioch, the epistles. And that one's really good. It has all of the epistles of St. Ignatius. And if you're, I would say if you're someone who loves the Bible, someone who kind of is into that style of St. Paul, where it's all different epistles for different reasons and stuff, then that is definitely the book for you. Cause it's basically, it's basically just more books of the Bible. It's mm-hmm. like you're reading epistles to different churches by someone who studied under the apostles themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so super, super awesome book. Yeah, that sounds great. I want to get that. <laughs> you should <laughs> shameless plug. It's at our website. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Plug away, plug away. <laughs> And then obviously the icons. Uh, I can't. I can't say enough about how much the icons really do help. Having an icon corner really does make make a difference. Uh, or if not a corner, um, at least just having some icons really does. Because we're not. We are not created to be beings of pure intellect. We're created to interact with the physical world and icons are a way that we can understand these things. And so having the icons, it really does help because, you know, a lot of times you'll hear, you know, let us pray. And then everyone closes their eyes. And that's not a bad thing to close your eyes for prayer, but the like my priest kind of joked with me one time and said is god does god have like his icons stamped on your eyelids or something uh-huh. and i uh, and i didn't have an answer but he the reason he said that is because it's like no don't close your eyes open your eyes and look at what god has done and then draw near to him and that's what icons help you to do is and again i'm not trying to I'm not trying to create a law. Close your eyes if if you want to close your eyes, but just the icons are like a wonderful way to really focus your attention onto what God is doing. And so if you don't have any icons, I highly recommend getting one of like a patron saint or of, you know, the Theotokos or Jesus and just really meditating on the icon one of the first icons I got was the one that I showed before, the Tsar Nicholas one. And I have spent a lot of time in front of that icon just pondering the life of Tsar Nicholas, pondering how pondering how this holy man prays for me and intercedes for me and and how in hopefully in my own unworthy way i'm able to even draw close to and form a relationship with this saintly person and maybe become a more saintly person right. myself yeah. maybe <laughs> the the jury's still out on whether or not i'll ever be a saint yeah we'll but see. it's it's in the <laughs> it's in the process and in our intention to yes. live a christ like you know attempting to be a kinder person, somebody who would do anything for the faith. And that's why 
at least for me, I, when I look around my church and I see all these martyrs who gave up their life for their faith, I mean, that just, and my priest in his homilies, when he talks about them and it just really gets to the core of like, what are we doing? Why, what is Christianity and why have we chosen this? And are we willing to die for our faith? Right. I like to joke around a little bit about that, but in, in all seriousness, the only thing you need to become a saint is the desire to become a saint. That's it. And the thing that gives me so much hope in the faith, really, which that's one thing that's kind of lacking in Protestantism, I feel, because they don't have the saints. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's no sense in which the Christian life is really livable for me. But because I have all these saints showing me there's all these people who actually lived the Christian life and actually successfully achieved what I'm trying to do. That gives me real hope. This can actually happen. And the fact that the saints all came from different backgrounds and different temperaments and Mm. all this stuff, it really, you know, draws me in and makes me say, this is awesome because Mm. for for me, there's a saint for, for you, there's a saint. And for all of us, we have, we can actually look to the saints and see, wow, there's actual real hope in all of this. Yeah. So a lot of the saints were pagans. So those ones give me a lot of hope because I was a pagan for so long. So they, you know, right. It's like having, having someone that you can follow in Mm -hmm. their footsteps is so cool. You feel like you really, you know, that this is attainable, right? (laughs) Because somebody attained it. So it's really wonderful. And, you know, I should, point out one more thing that led me to orthodoxy uh, because I think it is helpful for people and I I don't want to get a get away from the bookstore away from the ministry but there's one other factor I think that really challenged me a lot Um, so kind of personal but I think it's helpful for people so I do tell this story that is when I was, when I was still in the reformed thing, I actually, for a time, was pretty happy with the just going through life and, you know, reading books, entertaining orthodox ideas. But what really challenged me at first that I needed it to be something more than just an idea was um, my wife got pregnant and that was super exciting, but the baby did not make it. I'm sorry. So we had to deal with that loss and a couple of things really radically affected me about that. One was the fact that in Protestantism, I can't even pray for this kid. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just sort of a toss-up, especially in Calvinism. It's a coin toss whether or not this kid makes it into heaven. 
And all of that is my fault. You know, <laughs> he, uh, he inherits a sin nature from me you know, that had never challenged me when it was me. Because it's like, well, I inherited a sin nature from my dad, but now Jesus, blah, 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 I get to repent, I get to do this. But, uh, but the sort of Augustinian doctrine of original sin feels a little bit differently when you have a child that dies, because you're sitting there thinking, I love this kid with all my heart. They didn't have time to repent. Mm -hmm. And there is something fundamentally just deeply moving about that. And I wanted, not only did I want to be able to pray for um, Angel is the name we gave him, uh, Angel. Um, my wife is Latina, by the way. So Angel is kind of that spelling of yeah, that. I love that. Anyway, uh, so we, so not only that, but I also felt a deficiency in the fact that Protestantism in general and Reformed Christianity in particular is very intellectual. Um, the gospel, so to speak, is just a set of intellectual premises that you accept and now you're saved by faith alone. And faith itself is something intellectual and all this, but I knew that I needed something more that I could throw my whole life into, that I could give myself to. And what I love so much about orthodoxy, maybe more than anything else, is the fact that in orthodoxy, you have something that you can give your life to. It's not just a set of intellectual ideas like Western Christianity tends to be where you have this, these philosophical principles, and if you apply them, then you get to this moral principle and blah, blah, blah. In orthodoxy, we believe in a process of theosis by which we come to become one with God. We believe in not just philosophical premises, but a life of action and prayer in the Holy Spirit that each and every one of us is called to participate in. Yeah. And it's by participating in that life that we come into that state of theosis. So that has been a huge, huge thing for me. Um, and that I think to a certain degree, because of that impetus, um, in a lot of ways, my 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 own my son who never really got to see the light of day, he kind of saved me because I don't know that I was really I was doing apologetics and stuff, but it was all just in my intellect, and I don't know how real any of my Christianity was before him but after him when i realized that i wanted my whole life to be about christianity that changed everything and that changes everything and i think that's why i'm 
the way I am, even, even at the bookstore. That's why I am the way I am about wanting to share orthodox orthodox books, orthodox materials, wanting to have all this stuff, wanting to orthodoxify the bookstore and wanting all of this. It's because I really genuinely believe that the thing that sets orthodoxy apart is that orthodoxy is the one place where your whole life can be swallowed up into God and where you can really truly live in him. And that's what I was longing for. And I'm sure that at least some of your listeners out there that, that that'll click for them and they'll say, that's what I want too. Yeah. And that's what orthodoxy offers like in a real way. (laughs) And it's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't have said that any better. And that's why I chose orthodoxy too, is the, everything I had been searching for. I mean, you asked me a little bit about my story and this is it in a nutshell, everything I was searching for in the new age for 30 years never found it. And, and it was so exhausting and, and tiresome and depressing because you can do endless practices, endless rituals by the next course from some witchy woman selling some embodiment practice or something, but you never get there. There's no, there's no end because it's the snake eating its own tail. There's nothing there. And it, and I just came to a point and I tell this in the story of my interview yesterday, I just got to a point where something had to change. I needed something to change, (laughs) but I didn't know what what that was going to be. And then it turned out to be orthodoxy and Western Christianity didn't appeal to me for the same reasons that we've talked about today, but I didn't know Eastern Orthodoxy existed. I just thought, okay, I guess I'm just going to read my Bible and pray and I won't have a community, but oh well, I have my Bible. <laughs> and then I found out about Eastern Orthodoxy, and it was like, what? This has been around for two thousand years, and now I get to participate in this, and I, I'm just so grateful every day. And that's really why I started my channel. Same thing, why you right. devoted yourself to your bookstore is like I'm so into this, and I don't know anything. That's why I learn. You know, I learn from my guests and I learned from my priest and my godmother and my books and stuff, but I'm just a baby, baby in the faith. And I still have so much love and desire to know more about this beautiful ancient faith. So we definitely get each other on on that level. (laughs) (laughs) That's so wonderful. And, you know, don't you find that like, because it's something you can throw your whole life into, it really feels like it's almost like everything you do becomes enchanted with orthodoxy. I I keep going back to that enchantment, but, mm-hmm. you know, Fyodor Dostoevsky was once asked, what is Christianity? And he gave a one word answer. He said, Christianity is joy. Mm-hmm. It's like, <gasps> but that is yeah. what it is. It's like yeah. everything you do gets infused with, with Jesus yeah. and it's so crazy to think that, you know, I think when Western Christians hear that verse, pray without ceasing, it's almost like it's a chore, you know, oh man, how am I going to do that? How do I pray? You always hear people say, well, how do I pray while I'm doing something else? 
And I get that. But at the same time, when you're Orthodox, it's like everything is so infused with Christ that no matter what you're doing, you want to pray. It's like your heart is calling out to God and you're just every heartbeat is is your chest beating out of itself saying, I want more of God. Mm -hmm. And I love that so much. I love that we get to experience that in the liturgy. And I love the way you phrased that too. This has been around for 2000 years and now I get to participate in it. It's like, it's not a chore. It's I get to do this. This is so cool. That it's worship. I mean, my, my first liturgy, I participated in worship and it felt amazing. You know, it was just this amazing experience. It wasn't like, Oh, it's Sunday. We got to get ready get to church on time. Right. It's not like that. It's like, I cannot wait. Even I get home on Sunday night sometimes or Sunday afternoon. And I think, Oh, I have to wait a whole nother week for liturgy. It's like, ah, I can't wait. Or you know, I know you go to the same too. And, but yeah, I'm just, I'm yeah. My life is completely, completely different than it was oh, before yeah. orthodoxy. I'm the same way. I'm <laughs> the same way. You know, actually I was even just talking to a young lady at the store about this because she was kind of talking about in her desire to go to heaven, it was like, well, you know, we can study stars or whatever. And it was like, okay, that's cool and all. But I was thinking, man, there's something lacking about this. And I just said to her, I don't think, well, first I said, I just kind of blurted out um, because I actually have mild autism. So I just kind of blurted out there won't be any night in heaven. How would you see the stars? (laughs) And then it was like, oh, shoot, I probably just said something that wasn't (laughs) this. This lady's looking forward to stargazing for all eternity. And then I just (laughs) burst that bubble. So then I was, so then I said, okay, well, what, what about this? Like God is so glorious that I don't think we'll be that interested in the stars. Like stars are cool to us now, but God is so cool. God is so in the truest sense of the word awesome that I don't, I think when we're in his presence, there won't be anything that would distract us from him. Wow. But I think, you know, to a certain extent that kind of takes me back to when I did my rebuttal of a Lutheran theologian on my channel. And one of his statements was that he didn't like orthodoxy because our liturgy just went on and on and on. And I said, and I said, well, um, what are you going to do in heaven? Because heaven is going to be an eternity of liturgy, man. (laughs) And, but see, when I think about an eternity of liturgy, I'm so excited because when the liturgy ends, I don't want to go home. I want yeah. to do more liturgy. Right. I know it's not long enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was such a good answer. Do you remember what he said after that? Um, well, I was doing a rebuttal to his video. So oh, he has, on, I see. On, yeah. I haven't, uh, he hasn't responded to my thing. A lot of Lutheran people a lot of his fans and stuff did respond in the comments and they said that actually, you know, they didn't respond to that to particular that. point mm-hmm. now that I think about it. So well, I wonder they probably if that's don't just... understand. I mean, I, I don't know how many 
Western Christians right. understand that our liturgy is an experience of heaven. And that's- right. I don't think most of them do. I don't think that's how people see church mm-hmm. in the West. I no. think in the West, church is usually seen as um, this is worship. This is kind of the rituals we do for worship. And mm-hmm. maybe there's some e- kind of expression in Roman Catholicism of because you know a lot of I noticed that a lot of the texts that they use are from Revelation and stuff and it's like so they have an idea that we're doing this because they do it in heaven but I don't think that they have the conception and I could be wrong but I just don't get the impression that mo at least most Roman Catholics I don't get the impression that they have the conception that they're experiencing heaven when they're at church. Mm-hmm. Um, but we definitely have yeah. that yeah. concept. <laughs> it's it's definitely what we would think of, because that's, I mean, the, I don't know what could be more heavenly than the liturgy mm-hmm. until we get there. I just don't think other than seeing the seraphim face to face and, you know, whatnot, but <laughs> Even that, I don't know that it could beat the the liturgy itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just wow. Yeah. Kevin, I could talk to you for hours, <laughs> but I think we should give our guests a little break and then I'll have you back again and we can okay something else. And- <laughs> sure. Well, I'm sorry. My thoughts were a little bit scattered no, today. Perfect. But- this is how I like these interviews to go to see where they lead and everything you said was so helpful and interesting and any last words before we say goodbye um all i all for my last words i'll just kind of say again um i know you're gonna put in the description to for the website for the bookstore and um definitely check that out and see what we're doing over there because i'm really excited about it and um, that's that's my biggest thing. Check out the bookstore. We have so much awesome stuff that uh, un- unless your parish has its own bookstore, you might find some stuff there that just we don't have access to. If you're not Orthodox, check it out and feel free to um, feel free to look through the blog and stuff there and ask questions. We are super happy to lend our unworthy voices <laughs> to help you out. And um, and I just really love your show and appreciate you having me on. And okay. I hope that we can continue to communicate and do yeah, stuff. And I really love it. Is there a newsletter or some some way that people can be notified when those classes start? Oh, yes. So we... We offer a membership service, and if you join the membership service, it is $15 a month, and you get access to and notified about everything that we're doing, um, and then you also can so you can also give your email or even phone number for text messages, and you'll get Uh, updated about everything the bookstore is doing, everything from um, siestas to our actual serious stuff, Um, or I guess not siesta, but fiestas, uh, because we do, like, we have 
tomorrow actually we're doing a big thing for Halloween slash Dia de los Muertos. So we have all kinds of stuff. So you you can get notified about that sort of stuff that is kind of just for fun. And then all of the actual serious stuff that we have, like the blog and the uh, classes, the book clubs, all of that. My wife is going to be doing a thing about hermeneutics. Mm. Uh, she's really excited about it. She got um, the book the longing of the heart, which is actually an Orthodox book about hermeneutics. That's going to be one of the textbooks in conjunction with a couple of other books for her class. So really excited to see what she does with that. And, uh, and I'm really excited to see also um, other than my bookstore, I'm excited to see how your show continues to grow because you have just, really great guests that you bring on. And uh, I know that in one of your episodes, you kind of joked about that this show might not be as appealing for men out there. And and I get that because you talk about a lot of feminine topics, but I will just say this as a plug for you two guys. Um, if you know about things from a feminine perspective, you'll be able to help. We're supposed to be the leaders of our homes. If you can get some of that feminine perspective a little bit, you'll be able to lead your wife and daughters a lot better. Um, and plus, this your show uniquely has a lot of stuff that I think would appeal more to a masculine audience as well. Mm -hmm. So there's not a better place to learn how to instruct women than this show, other than your local priest, the best place wow. to learn everything. Kevin, <laughs> that was such high praise and um, glory to God. I mean, I'm just the vessel for this platform. You know, having a YouTube channel is not something I ever thought I would do. I'm, I, I've never liked public speaking. I don't like attention on me at all. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> so I just really want this to be about my guest, but to be kind of the the middle person is really an honor. And and I um I would love to just take a moment and thank my audience for sharing my videos and the comments and just the wonderful motivating things like what Kevin just said. Um, it means so much to me. And yeah, if there's a guest that you think should be on my show, please tell them about my show and tell them to contact me and I can Dr. Jeannie, get on here. Yeah, yeah, Dr. <laughs> Come on, Dr. Jeannie. <laughs> and um, you can find me on Instagram at a devotional heart, a dot devotional dot heart. And um, I'm a life coach for Christian women. I'm going to be sharing more about how I can help women reclaim their femininity and restore their, their relationships with their men by letting the man lead and um, all the ways that God has provided for us to have natural order that works. And I'm going to be talking a lot more about that. I like to post these interviews around 5 PST on either Tuesdays, Thursdays, or Fridays, but it always changes. So subscribe so you get notified. I don't have a set schedule yet, but we have so much fun in the chat. I love meeting new 
audience members and um, getting questions and comments. It's just a lot of fun. And I have a Telegram group, two, two Telegram options. My channel, which is open to everyone. It's a public channel where I post announcements, videos, all kinds of links, anything that I think is interesting, I post there. And then for women, you can ask to join by messaging me on Instagram. It's for inquirers, catechumens, baptized, any type, anywhere in between, just um, come and hang out with us. We've got 50 women now, and we're going to do a Zoom call um, the first Saturday of every month. And I'm going to add a second one, and I don't know when that's going to be yet, but um, I my goal is to have two calls a month on Zoom where we can see each other's faces and share whatever we want to talk about and get support and laugh and make friends. And it's going to be really fun. So with that, I will bid you all adieu. Kevin, thank you again. We've been talking for quite a long time. and <laughs> Well, thank you for having me again. Yeah. And God bless you and your wife and your bookstore and everything you're working on. And um, To all my guests, God bless you, and I'll see you next time.